0: Right. if anyone feels comfortable, what were some of the answers that you guys had heard? How does Jesus bring hope? You can just shout out if you're comfortable. We know where we're going to when we die. Pardon me, sorry? We know where we're going to when we die. Cool, nice. I heard something here, was it Evelyn? Sovereignty. Mm. Cool. Uh, What does sovereign mean just to like dive a little bit deeper? Like what does, what does that mean to you about sovereignty? he's in control he Mm. knows what he's doing. We just got to find out what that is. Yeah, good point. He knows what he's doing. We just, yeah, finding out what, what he's doing. Awesome. These are great answers and thank you, Spencer, for setting that up. Um, It's really nice being with you guys this morning. Um, And to start with a quote, um, Hope is not dependent on peace in the land, justice in the world, and success in the business. Hope is leaving, willing to leave, unanswered questions unanswered, and unknown futures unknown. Hope makes you see God's guiding hand, not only in gentle and pleasant moments, but also in shadows of disappointment and darkness. And so this quote is by Henry Nouwen, and some of you guys might know him. He's a famous or well-known author. He is a Dutch priest. Um, He was a a professor. And so um, it's also known that he was someone who went through a lot of dark times in his life, one of them being his mom being diagnosed with cancer and and passing away three weeks later, which had deep impact on his life. And so he was a well-known person that had lots of deep struggles. And so how does someone who's experienced all this darkness or sadness or loss say something so profound about hope? So I'll repeat his quote again because it just really affected me when I read it. Hope is not dependent on peace in the land and justice in the world and success in the business. Hope is willing to leave unanswered questions unanswered and unknown futures unknown. Hope makes you see God's guiding hand, not only in the gentle and pleasant moments, but also in shadows of disappointment and darkness. And so my question is, how does one hope um, in such a way when there's so much hardship and darkness in the world? What causes anyone to hang on to better days, even in the midst of hardship? And so we see in our passage this morning in Isaiah 9, that this is the kind of hope that God's word brings through Isaiah. This is the kind of hope that endures, even when things don't make sense. The kind of hope that persists, even when one longs for God to act, we see that Israel's waiting for a Messiah and he seems silent. The hope that keeps going, even when God's answers are not one that one might expect. And so this Sunday, as we move into Advent, we move into Christ who comes as a child, a humble baby, and this is the hope who will save the world and to save his people. And so how does a child born in the most humble way save all of humanity? And so we know that this happens. We visit Advent every year, and so we might know this in our brains. And it's a very, like Spencer said, a simple message that he brings hope. We might know this very well in our heads, but what I sense God asking us this morning is how does this translate in our hearts? How do we feel this truth in our hearts? Because how we feel this in our hearts affects the way we live this out in the world. Do we hope only when there's evidence that God's working? Do we only hope when there's evidence he's answering our prayers or that his timeline matches ours? Or is there a richer sense to our hope? Do we hope even when God feels, seems silent? Do we trust even when his answers to our prayers are very different than what we would expect or want? And so Isaiah speaks into this very situation in Isaiah 9. Before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we pray as we spend time in your word that you would illuminate us. We pray that you would remind us in a fresh way something about hope on this first sunday in advent father we are grateful that hope isn't diminished by our inabilities to trust when things don't make sense in our world we thank you that hope rests in the solid truth that you fulfill your promises in your way and in your time remind us of this in our heads our hearts and in the way we live our lives in blessing to others. Amen. Isaiah 9, 1. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And so sometimes I often wonder why this Passages famously used in Advent. If you look at the first few words, there's gloom, distress, and he humbled lands. How is this a hopeful message for us? <laughs> but jokes aside, in this first verse, it's helpful to remind ourselves of the situation that um, Isaiah is speaking. Let's rewind a bit back. Um, just if we look back to Genesis, we see that there's God's promise to Abraham and his family to make them a great nation that would be a divine blessing to everybody. However, however, as we know, Abraham's family fails and God raises up another leader, David, who also doesn't follow God completely. And so God promises a king from David's line in the future that will be an ideal leader, one who will rule, whose rule will never end, as it says in 2 Samuel 7. And so we know from here that none of David's descendants um, are successful at following God completely and leading well. We even hear of them becoming murderers and thieves in Isaiah 1. And so because of this, God's judgment is placed upon them in the form of an empire called the Assyrians, overtaking a lot of the Israelite cities. And so it's in the midst of this situation or this darkness, this, this time that just seems so lacking in hope. And it's in this situation that isaiah is speaking isaiah brings god's word of hope even though the israelites are feeling quite the opposite isaiah has hope even when things around don't seem to make sense isaiah has hope that god will purify and restore israel through these trials of assyrian domination but more so this restoration will draw others to god and so isaiah knows that these acts of judgment judgment don't have the final word. God will honor and restore Israel. And so how does this make sense? How is this logical? Why would God want to give Israel a hope that they will be restored even though they had strayed from him? With us, how does it make sense that we have hope that he continually restores us despite sometimes us straying away from him? It's not logical. Um, it's not what we would think, yet it's this hope that God calls us to place our confidence in. It's hope in his ways that even though things are tough, even when things are dark, that there is still the solid truth that he will fulfill his promises. Even when things aren't neatly tied up in a, in a beautiful package, everything. even when things are undone, we can still hope. Just a quick interesting tidbit about the lands of Naphtali and Zebulun as Louisa read very beautifully. We were chatting about this and it's hard, these names that are hard to pronounce. But these lands that are mentioned in Isaiah 9:1, they are also mentioned, if we fast forward a bit, to Matthew 4. And I don't have time to get deeply into this, but I find this fascinating because Matthew 4 talks about this very prophecy in, in Isaiah where Jesus comes to these very lands that were humbled, these very lands that were invaded, where the people were scattered and deported. Jesus returns to these very lands in Matthew 4, and this is the start of his preaching ministry. And this is how God honors these very lands that he speaks about. And so if we look at that, it doesn't, if we look at the timeframe between Isaiah and Matthew, It's actually like 700 years between that time that it was spoken and the time that Jesus enters the scene. And so that reminds me. And what I find fascinating is that there's still hope, even when God's timeline. 700 years is an amazingly long time, yet God still will fulfill his promises. And so that reminds me that our timing isn't his timing. And speaking of hope, and things taking time um gary and i've been married 17 years it was not 700 but 17 but since the beginning (laughs) although maybe it might have felt like that at times but since the beginning of our marriage i have always hoped that gary's socks would just somehow make it over the cusp of the edge of the laundry basket and actually into the laundry basket instead of on the floor just a few feet before now in fairness gary's always hoped that i would cook him this cool prime rib dinner because, as you guys know, food is the way to Gary's heart. And as you guys know me, I'm not the best of cooks. I'm not very confident. I'd rather bake him a cake. And so we hope for these things that are ha- that in each other that may not seem to happen. So that just reminded me of just the hope, even when things are pointing in the opposite direction, that we still have hope that maybe one day these things may happen. And so as we move on to verses 2 and 4 two to five, this next section, even though there's all this gloom and doom talk from Isaiah about these lands being humbled, he's he goes on to a more hopeful section in verses two to five. He starts this section by stating those who are walking in darkness will see a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the shadow of death. And there's and in this section, we'll see that Isaiah is quite poetic he talks a lot about these uh, kind of analogies of rejoicing, of celebration, of people rejoicing in the harvest, of people being, um, uh, being pos- or just being, um, and just being able to overcome their enemies. And so there's all this talk about dividing the plunder of being um, victorious in war and overcoming the oppressor. Verse four talks about the yoke that's being placed on people's shoulders, the yoke of oppression, the rod of the oppressor being shattered. And so there's all this more hopeful language and it's very poetic. And so Isaiah uses these analogies to speak strongly to the people that, these were things that they would have known very well and what that would feel like to have a yoke lifted from your shoulders, for example. And what I find really interesting is that he references Midian, In verse four so for in the day of midian's defeat and so if we quickly recap the midianites are in reference to gideon in judges and as we kind of review this gideon's army of just a mere 300 soldiers i think it was were able to defeat this big power called the midianites which had tens of thousands of people in his army And so, this reference to to the Midianites and Gideon in this passage of hope really speaks to God's paradoxical way in which he overcomes and defeats powers. And if you think about it, how could an army of 300 be so victorious over an army of tens of thousands of people? And so, we know in the story, and just that Gideon's army is able to surround the enemy, and with trumpets and torches, make their army seem way bigger than it was, and this caused the Midianites to flee. And so this is paradoxical in how God overcomes power. This really spoke to me about how he overcomes oppression and how he overcomes power, not with more power and not with more oppression, but yet he sends Jesus in the form of a child to overcome all of these rulers. And so this, this parallel of how weakness is strength, this child who was born as a baby is strong enough to save all of humankind really speaks to me about how God works and how he brings hope. And so God could certainly overpower people with more might, with more power, but yet he chooses not to. And his sovereignty, like Evelyn mentioned, he sometimes will choose to fight evil and darkness with humility and vulnerability. And he's powerful enough to do that. And this truth can help us to hope as well, to trust when things are dark and hard. This hope means that we can trust in God to fulfill promises, even if it's not always in a way that makes sense to us. Sometimes he's paradoxical. In developing this truth a bit further, as we move on in Isaiah nine, verses six to seven, the next couple of verses re- reveal God's promise to bring deliverance for Israel through a child, a baby who is born. God's powerful enough to bring deliverance for Israel, and not only Israel, all of humanity, through a child. And for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will call, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so the next next verses tell us more about this child who is a source of hope in our passage. As we explore these names a bit briefly, um, I invite you to ponder as we hear these. These are probably not the first time we've heard these names of Jesus, but I invite us to ponder on which one of these names, or perhaps there's multiple that resonate with us most and teach us most about hope. Wonderful counselor, And we see this name being used in contrast to the foolishness of the human kings who have just not been able to follow God up until this point, resulting in the oppression of the dominating empires. And so this wonderful counselor is one who will bring wise advice, who will direct his people to the true source of hope. And there's wisdom in this counselor. And if you think about it, this child will be a wise one, will be a king who will have wisdom to advise and to instruct well. And so we think even in that, that a child could be this, the child could be a king who does this, is paradoxical. And the wonder of his counsel is that it's contradictory to human nature. It's not what anyone would expect. And so for us today, that means in times when we've tried to take wisdom into our own hands, hoping in ourselves and hoping in what we think makes sense. How many times have we tired ourselves out by fighting and planning without leaning into God and leaning into the counsel of this King? Mighty God, the one who is coming will be mighty and powerful and he will have so much power that he can consume all the darkness and evil that is thrown at him. And so we know that this this one who comes as a child is so mighty that he's able, through his life, death, and resurrection, to absorb all the evil powers and to save humanity. One commentary states it this way, the king will have God's true might about him, power so great that he can absorb all the evil that can be hurled at it until none is left to hurl. And so in other words, Jesus doesn't fight power with more power oppression with more oppression, although he could. He is so powerful that instead he absorbs all of that evil and throughout that defeats it. The baby who comes is the one whom God's people can hope in. And so when we think about that, it's how, how is that even possible? How is a baby to be so much more powerful than evil and darkness? And so Isaiah told the Israelites that despite the darkness, chaos and strife, they can still find trust and promise in this child who's coming, everlasting father. And so in ancient times, the word, this everlasting father, it tells about how Jesus is going to embody all of the characteristics of father God. And so we see in the gospels that Jesus reflects God's compassion, his love, his patience, and his willingness to sacrifice for his children, that despite what his children and people will do, that his grace abounds. And so Jesus reflects this. The baby who is born is going to reflect God the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. Again, this is, can be confusing. How is this going to be? Yet we know how Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And this brings us hope hope that not in the ways that we would, but how God invites us to hope in things that don't make sense sometimes. Prince of Peace. This king who comes in the form of a baby will bring peace to a world full of strife and oppression. And last week we briefly explored the word peace and just how it reminds us of the fullness, the completeness of relationships, the reconciliation of us and God and people to people. And so this child will bring about peace, so no more division between empires, no more war. This child has the power through his death to bring reconciliation between people to God and people to people. And so having gone through this passage and these names of Christ on this first Sunday of Advent, why does this matter to us today? It matters because how we hope, affects the way we live, and how we live affects how others see Christ. And so do we only hope when things make sense? Do we only hope when God's timeline of events is in line with ours? Or is our hope fuller, richer? Do we hang on to hope even when things are dark, even when it doesn't seem that God is acting? And when i think of things happening in this world today things are dark even without COVID in the mix things are dark there's lots of mourning and loss there's lots of confusing things as to why things are happening for example um, i think my heart's been heavy for our friends out west with all the flooding and the mudslides and all the turmoil that's going on in there yet in the midst of this darkness i've been reading accounts of people who have been trapped in cars, waiting for hours, feeling fearing that this day would be their last. And I can't imagine how horrific that would be or how that would feel. Yet in, there's been accounts after accounts. If you look, there's been accounts of hope in the midst of this turmoil. In one situation along Highway 7, I, I read about many who were trapped in cars with nothing else to do but wait. And yet among these trapped was a nurse who was able to go and save a family who had rolled over um, in their car. And thankfully, they were safe. And yet she accounts or recounts of how she didn't rescue these people alone. Along the way, even though people were trapped and they were scared, they offered her a headlamp and boots so that she could safely rescue this family of five. And she is quoted as saying, it was the most beautiful form of community she had seen in a really long time. And so hope can come in the form of community, and it came in the form of community for these people in such a trying time. And so I'm not sure if these people were Christians yet. It's amazing to see the light that they bring in such a dark situation simply because they valued other people's lives more importantly than their own, and that they knew that other people's lives were worth fighting for. And so friends, we have spent uh, time in this morning in Isaiah looking at how God brings hope through Jesus, through ways that are not our own. And he fights oppression, not with more oppression or invasion with more invasion, but with humility and vulnerability. To be born as a child, to, be, to die an excruciating death and to be resurrected. And this child is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and Prince of Peace, saving humanity in every way. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. How does knowing this, how does this hope affect how we live? And how does it affect what we do with our lives to show others about the true hope in the season of Advent that we can have even though times are dark? When we face loss, when we feel alone, the zeal of the Lord will bring hope in ways that may not make sense, in timings that may not make sense. Yet we hope in the one who is so powerful that he overcomes evil and darkness with love and humility. And this afternoon we are reminded of the four names of Jesus or some of the names of Jesus who was born as a humble baby. And as we head into Advent, it's a time to slow down and reflect and ponder on these characteristics of Jesus, these names of Jesus and spend time on which ones have impacted us most in our lives through our stories. Which one of these, or maybe plural, maybe all of these have impacted us and affected ways that we hope, that we long for uh, Jesus to come. And so before we part this afternoon, I would really love for us to tell someone here, someone ideally that you don't know as well, maybe one or if there are more characteristics or these names of Jesus that have affected your story of hope and perhaps to share that with each other as we reflect and as we slow down and ponder. And then I invite us midweek if we can to check in with each other and to ask God or to ask each other how God's been speaking about these names of Jesus to you and how it reflects or encourages you to hope in the season of Advent. And so we'll close in prayer here, but I do encourage you, I I tidied up my sermon a little bit to give us space for God to speak and to be able to have time with each other to to share how God's speaking about hope to us. And so let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for our time this afternoon, being able to reflect on your goodness and how through the form of a humble baby you bring jesus to us who is a huge gift being able to save us in every way and to continue giving us hope sometimes when we don't feel like it or when it doesn't make sense or paradoxical to do so yet you continue to encourage and spur us on through friends through each other through your relationship with us and so we thank you and help us to continue to hope well and to hope even when things don't look good. And so we thank you and uh, for your word. We thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen.